Welcome to the podcast, Nicole. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. You are in Toronto, Canada, which in case uh, nobody is listening in Canada, I follow Canadian therapists. And one of the reasons I'm so impressed is I love the name of your practice, Peace and Possibility. Delightful. Where did you come up with that name? What's the inspiration for it? Oh, thank you so much. Um, Actually, the very first blog that I wrote is about the story behind it. So um, essentially, it was, I I did an exercise around values. Mm. And I came to peace as kind of like, if I was at peace, that meant that everything else that I needed in my life uh, to feel good would be there. I would be, I would be safe. I would be secure. I would be stable. And then when I started to kind of unpack the idea of peace, um, I thought about in terms of what I, what I try to do for clients and, and what I've learned on my own journey um, is about how do we cultivate peace in, you know, in our day-to-day moment-to-moment. So sort of what Deb Dana refers to as glimmers and being in our ventral vagal state. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also how do we make peace with the past? How do we make peace with, you know, what's happened to us or what we didn't get that we deserved? And how do we create peace in our homes? Because I believe that that ripples up out into the world, but it starts with us taking, taking that time to do our, do our own work and commit to cultivating, even if it's just a few minutes here and there throughout the day to keep coming back to peace. And then, um, I believe and have sort of experienced in my life when we're in that place of peace, that's when we open up to possibility. Oh, I love that. Oh, I need, I love the way you phrase things. It's very calming. It's like a meditation, like through this peace, that's how I can flow into possibility because what I resist you know, continues, right? And so what you're saying is finding peace with all the things that are happening around you. And so we do that therapy reframe of like looking for the possibility versus focusing on the things that should be different. Yes, absolutely. And I've definitely noticed for myself in my own relationship, the more that I prioritized um, those practices that help bring me to a place of peace, the easier it was for me to engage in healthy conflict and problem solving with my partner, instead of constantly getting triggered because um, anxiety has been something that's been a companion for most of my life. And, you know, certain topics, as we know, those hot topics like money, especially now with the way the economy is and everything, um, could be a real trigger. But as I committed to those practices, I noticed that it was much easier to, you know, to not get as triggered or recognize what I would when I was getting triggered and then to take space. Sometimes I would do a little bit of reflective writing to see what what is this about for me? Right. So that I wasn't getting into that reactive mode um, with my partner. And that's something that I often talk to the women that I support about, you know, is that um, because I work primarily with individual women is not to blame 
them or me, you know, as the entirety of the problem, but to empower us in terms of, okay, well, well what might be going on here? How, how might this actually be an opportunity for us to do some of our healing or to, you know, shift away from an unhealthy pattern, right? Um, so I find that it's so, like, we have so much more self-awareness then, and we're able to be more reflective and to make those all important repairs when needed. What I think I hear you say, which is something that I do as well, so I'm totally resonating with this, <laughs> is that when I have a big emotion about something that's happening in a relationship with someone I care about, partner, friend, possibly even a coworker or like a boss, right? Is mm -hmm. stop and write about what's coming up for me because that's a safe yeah. space, right? I can use curse words. I don't have to worry about spelling, <laughs> capitalization, punctuation. I can just like let it free flow. And then yeah. like once you've gotten the emotion out on paper, like that's your container that's holding it. And you can yeah. sort of like, step back because you've emptied the vessel right and you can kind of do the high approach of like what's really happening here what are the themes what are the stories that are coming up for me that's keeping me trapped and feeling like i'm being victimized by this which is always going to make me want to react versus respond right yeah. and what you're saying is like just taking that pause you can get that availability to kind of figure out, well, what, what's, it, what's my need here? Like, if this is feeling so icky, how do I identify with what it is that would help me feel more connected and make this feel like something that's happening for us versus to us? Am I, am I understanding that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I noticed as I was learning about conscious parenting um, on my mothering journey that this that, that same type of uh, approach was really helpful in my relationship. Um, and then, yeah, sometimes it was, yes, there is there is a need in the relationship and I'm going to communicate it in a way that he can actually hear me <laughs> and not get defensive, right? Um, or sometimes it was, oh, this is reminding me of something from the past. Yeah. And so it's actually a younger part of me that's getting triggered. And so can I then support that younger part of me? Can I offer compassion to that younger part of me so that there can be that sort of separation or that discernment between past and present? What would that look like? So those of us that are like, yes, 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 I want all this, Nicole. Yeah. <laughs> how do I, how do, what does that look like? How do I offer compassion to my, that younger part of me that's still craving something that keeps showing up in my relationships? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, again, we can use the writing to do this um, and it just sort of offering kind of that apology and that validation that unfortunately a lot of us didn't get or may never get from, you know, a caregiver, right? And so it's becoming sort of that wise, nurturing parent to ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, just saying like, I'm so sorry that happened to you, or I'm so sorry you were treated that way, or I'm so sorry that was your experience. You, this is what you deserved. And coming back to that idea of identifying our needs, I think we through this process, we can reclaim those needs. Okay. Is because I find, um, I found this for myself on my own journey and working with clients, you know, if, if we're not getting the need met, then not only will we kind of stuff it away, but there, there's sometimes is some shame attached to it. Ah, okay. Right? Like, like I, I shouldn't have this 
Ah, right? like so this shouldn't can... still be coming up for me. I shouldn't still be triggered. I'm not five anymore. What's up with me? And then we build, right. build that in. Yeah, yeah. Or if there's a particular, you know, if there's a particular need that we have for, you know, maybe it's affirmation, right? Maybe it's our, really our love language, right? But because we didn't receive that, we almost have convinced ourselves that that's wrong or bad to need that because that's how we coped, right? That I don't need that. I'm fine. I, you know, and so we put on, you know, we put on those masks and we adapt in different ways. Um, but if we can do that grieving work, then we can reclaim those needs. And sometimes our relationships are, you know, our partners are trying to give us that, but you know, we're almost unconsciously pushing it away. Right. So then when we do that work and that reclamation work, especially we can then see, oh, wow, yeah, it is different. And oh, wow, this person is affirming me. Or we can like unapologetically say, this is what I need, right? I need, I need words of affirmation. So I need cards. And I'm very clear about what I, you know, I want the cards to say. <laughs> You're like, I want a card. It should have a unicorn on it. Maybe a little glitter. You need to say something kind in it. Okay. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, so, so, you know, I'm like, I don't need jewelry flowers are optional, but we have beautiful gardens, but I'm like, but I want like on those special occasions, I want the card and I want you to take that time to really tell me what you appreciate about me and special, you know, special moments that we share together. And, you know, that's something that I tell my, my children as well. Right. I'm like, again, it doesn't, I'm not, I don't need the stuff. Yeah. I need those words of affirmation and, um, and, and not being like ashamed or, you know, or minimizing that. You no, know, <laughs> I love that. That that was exactly what I wanted to like hone in on because when I work with couples, we're so vague, yeah. right? And then we're not getting our needs met and our partner will like try to guess what we yeah. might want. And then when they get it wrong, they keep getting it wrong and then they give up and then we go in different corners. So what I love that yeah. you're saying, which is gonna make tons of people cringe that are listening to this is <laughs> get real specific. Yeah. about so the way that your partner will get it right is for you yeah. to get real you know don't imagine that they know what you want right because yeah. when you say i need words of affirmation they might be like okay um so i guess that means i tell you that you're a good mom and you're like no i'm thinking i want like a card that has something yeah. on there that's solid that i can keep that i can refer back to and why do you think so many people, you kind of reference maybe the shame piece, but why is it that we don't get very specific and we get so hurt when our partner is not, or anybody in our life doesn't just automatically read our mind? What is that from? Yeah, well, I think part of it may be how our nervous systems are getting activated in those moments. Okay. So we can lose, we can lose some of that clarity. Right. Um, if we're going into more of that shutdown freeze mode, you know, the brain gets kind of foggy and, you know, we're like, I don't know. I'm, I'm upset. Mm. You know, I'm frustrated. I don't like feel like this relationship is how I thought it was going to be. Life doesn't feel the way I thought it was going to feel, but we don't necessarily can't necessarily put into words. Um, and so again, this is where it's so important for us to tend to our nervous systems and to, um, you know, 
take those walks or whatever it is like that's something that I need and definitely notice a shift um, but finding those little things and, and again it can just be a couple of minutes of putting on a song that you like and you can either dance it out to it or maybe you just listen to the music to it and you breathe deeply but just noticing and paying attention to what helps to shift the nervous system yeah. because then once we feel safe then we're able to open up more to what it is specifically, you know, that we're needing. And, and sometimes I say, well, start with, with what you don't want, with what you don't like, ah, right? Because okay. then you can, we, we know that easier, right? Yeah, no, yeah. that's not right. Yeah. That's, that's not fill in the void, right? Um, so then sometimes we can kind of work backwards from there. Well, if I don't like this, I don't want that. What's, what's the opposite of that, right? So you're giving us permission to not know it immediately in the moment yeah. that it's more than okay. Cause you and I both yeah. practice some Gottman method stuff here where it's like, yeah. recognize that I'm getting hijacked, that I'm going into yeah. fight or flight or freeze or flooding as we call it in the Gottman world. Right. And yeah. it's absolutely okay to not stick in there and try to think when you don't have access to your brain power go take a walk, go do something soothing, figure out what it is that you don't want your formula, which sounds fantastic. So then I can get to what I do want. And because I've taken the time to get grounded, you literally, because you're on the ground taking a walk, that yeah. I can come back and I can say, hey, I didn't know what I needed before. That's why I needed to take the break. I've got some clarity about what I'm looking for. Are you open to hearing it? And can we sort of co-create what it looks like moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the things that I really appreciated about the Gottman's research was the importance of the break being at least 20 minutes. Yes. You know, in order for that physiological soothing and that shift to happen. So I think that's really important for people to remember. Like it's not a quick, it's not a quick fix. We're not gonna just, you know, take a five minute break. We need to take at least 20 minutes. And we can't be ruminating about yeah. the argument in our mind either or calling our best friend and complaining about our partners because that's going to keep us activating so you're not finding... on your walk like writing notes about what you're going to yeah. say to your partner about how they jerked you over yeah. when you get back it's <laughs> yeah it's, it's a being intentional yeah. about soothing your nervous system so that as you mentioned it in the piece i come to the possibility yes yes and sometimes you know sometimes part of that is looking at worthiness, right? Because mm -hmm. we also struggle to ask for what we need if we don't feel worthy of it, right? So sometimes that's the piece and, and checking in like, how old am I feeling right now? Really? So, so we might be, you know, physically um, our, our grown adult self, but the part that's getting triggered and that we're reacting from is this younger part. And so it's also really hard to access and, and clear and articulate what we need, right? When we're in that young space of you know, that little child that's really needing that comfort. And again, right, feeling safe so that they can risk, right? Because it is a risk. It's, it's, it's vulnerability to ask for what you need, especially, I think, a need like words of affirmation, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you've had to do your own work around that, which is why yeah. it's even more meaningful when you say, hey, I'm a therapist I'm, and I'm telling you what to do, not because I haven't walked the walk. And, and you are pretty open and admirably so willing to talk about your own journey. 
Yeah, I think it's it's so important. And of course, in a session, it's not about me. And my, right, right, right. But I think it is so important because we have this, um, you know, this kind of expert mentality out there. And it's, I think it's kind of dangerous, right? Because mm. you never get to that place where, you know, A, you're going to know everything about something like healing and relationships. It's a lifelong process of growing and evolving and, you know, sometimes having some real hard challenges and struggles and difficult periods. But then can you grow and get actually get stronger together? Um, and I always want my clients to know that they themselves are the expert on themselves. And so, you know, yes, there is these research-based uh, practices, right, that, that we've learned and we can share with them, but then it's also filtering it through, you know, their, their own experience, their own personality, their soul, and, you know, what resonates for, what resonates for them. Yeah, beautiful. I want to shift a little bit and talk about something that you've written about that I think is an, I've never had it as a topic on the podcast, but it's something that I've been wanting to talk about Mm -hmm. and this idea of emotional load. So can you Mm -hmm. talk about what it is for people that are like, what did she just say? What is an emotional (laughs) load, Nicole? So that emotional or mental load, right? So it's all that stuff. Generally women are carrying uh, the planning the organizing, the coordinating, right? That unless it is made visible, um, there is a often an unequal distribution of, you know, sort of work and responsibilities, which can often lead to resentment and burnout for the person, the, the person that's carrying that load. Um, but the problem is, as I said, if it's not visible, then it's, it's inherent in how we've been socialized. Um, You know, and I'm going to use that stereo, that gender stereotype, and obviously, there's exceptions always. But, you know, generally, women have been socialized in that, that myth of patriarchal motherhood, that, you know, we should be doing it all, and we should be doing it perfectly. And um, whereas, you know, slowly, and with backlash, you know, we're, we're trying to challenge that because it doesn't just impact women. It also impacts men. And I did a lot of work for a number of years with men who had used abuse and, um, and looking at the harm of, uh, what we refer to as toxic masculinity. So putting them in that box of that rigid or narrow definition of masculinity being associated with, you know, toughness and, you know, not being able to express vulnerability and, the, you know, the primary kind of breadwinner or responsibility for the family and, and how that, that doesn't help, doesn't help our men either. So, so many of them had unprocessed grief and unhealed wounds um, that they didn't have a place up to that point to be able to express. And so it's, you know, it's kind of like a pressure cooker. Right. So you have that combined with those patriarchal belief systems. And that's a recipe for, you know, the unfortunately, the gender based violence that we see happening and, you know, in such a rampant way now. Um, So I think it's important to hold that social cultural context in mind so that couples aren't pitting against each other. Right. Mm -hmm. It doesn't become it doesn't become a case of, you know, where. 
women are holding on to all of this frustration and resentment and then just, you know, mm. projecting it all onto the, you know, onto their partners. Um, because that's, that's going to push the partner away. Right. Yeah. Um, and ultimately not going to lead to that working together and that sharing the load or the fair play as, as Eve Rodsky talks about, right. Dividing, equally dividing things up, having those conversations that, that recognize, you know, as the Gottmans, you know, talk about, we need to have a team mentality. We're in this together. It's not, you know, me over here. It's we, right? So how would we, so if we're listening to this and I'm like, yes, I'm making all of the plans for Junior's attendance at a birthday party next week. I got the present. I'm making sure I'm taking our kids to the dentist. I'm the one who's planning birthdays for my mother-in-law. I'm also folding all the laundry and giving all the hugs. And my partner is, I'm when I can hold them in a positive perspective, I know that they're not doing it because they don't care. It's because they're not socialized to understand how to nest in the way that I do, right? If we're saying it in a loving way, right. and that, that's leading to some of the disparity. And so if I don't want to come at my partner, like you said, either passive aggressively or store things up and be, you know, an explosion. Is there something I should be recognizing for myself that's letting me get to a space where there's a red flag? And then what should I do once I recognize I have a red flag? Yeah. So I think the most important thing is to, you know, to not blame yourself, right. To Mm -hmm. not go into a place of shame. I caused this to happen. I enabled, I didn't like set better boundaries or like, it's not just a me thing. It's a we thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I think is also really important because I I see this on social media is, is to not go into a place of kind of defeat, like, well, this is just how it is. And this is as good as it gets. And we're just going to make, you know, we're going to make light of it through joking. Right. (laughs) But meanwhile, we're miserable and our relationship satisfaction and intimacy is, you know, decreasing significantly. Right. Um, So we need to not blame ourselves, but also, realize that we're not powerless to change the dynamic. Okay. So usually what I start with is validating, of course, and exploring um, where there might be some, you know, potential barriers that have gotten in the way of um, expressing feelings earlier on and inviting responsibility as opposed to asking for help because I think that lighting responsibility Nicole I love the reframe (laughs) how does one invite responsibility I love this so it's remembering again right that idea that we're a team right this is this should be shared responsibility but we need to help make visible what's you know what's not been visible so Sometimes this feels almost counterintuitive um, for my clients, but I, you know, I tell them it's really important that first, before you have those kind of conversations, I'm going to invite you to practice creating a culture of appreciation, mm. right? Because we get into that kind of negativity loop, mm-hmm. right? And what so I before, do versus what you do, and it's a competition right? or it's a comparison. Yeah. What you're saying yeah. is... Do the opposite, show appreciation for what your partner's doing right. Yes, exactly. So, and and that's for two reasons. One, because 
there, we're being clear, right? I liked it when you did this. This is how it, you know, helped or benefited. Okay, so they're associating positive feelings with that activity. They're likely going to do more of that, right? The other piece, though, is that we need to create that positive perspective, right, to help with when you're having those those hard conversations where, you know, there is that potential for some negativity, right? We need to create that positive association in our brain because otherwise it affects, it affects how we see our partners and it affects our nervous systems when we're in the interaction. So it's not going to come out the way we want it to in terms of an invitation, right? It's going to come out more in a, in a critical kind of way that, you know, as I mentioned, has the, the potential or the risk of pushing our partners away or just having them kind of go into that poor me, you know, kind of role where, you know, they're just kind of feeling bad and we're so frustrated because they haven't really hurt us. Right. So at the same time though, um, looking at different ways to start dividing up that, you know, dividing up that load, making that visible. Um, and it's not just on women to do that. So if they're, you know, the, if the part partners are listening that are, have not generally been, um, planning, organizing, coordinating, whatever, the, the invitation is to take initiative, mm. right? So Ooh, I like this. Okay. Yeah. So I wrote an article for the, the Gottman blog, um, creating equal relationships. And, and that one was some specific examples of how, how can you, if you're not the partner that usually um, carries that mental load, how can you take initiative, right? And it's, it's about, um, as Eve Rodsky says, taking ownership for the whole thing from start to finish, right? Making it your own because you're going to be more invested in, you know, in the follow through and you're going to, that is what's going to unburden the other person, right? Because even something like um, date, right? Organizing the date, whether it's a night or whether it's a weekend, if you suggest date night to your partner, but then it's your partner's responsibility to figure out the childcare, for example, right? It's okay, it's great. And it'll be fun when the date comes, but leading up to that, that's added stress. So if you really want to take on that full load, it's about it's about taking that initiative, you know, maybe yes, you need to check schedules first, and then saying, I'm going to reach out to so and so, and see, you know, we can make make that happen. Right. So for some couples, they can, you know, they can have this conversation, they can incorporate it into say, like a, a weekly, you know, kind of family meeting. Um, for other couples, they can use a more structured system like Ebrodsky's fair play system. But it's, it's really important before we have those conversations that we're able to, I sort of describe it as embodying our anger, right? Ooh, so we're okay. not in that reactive place, right? We need to, we need to move through because the anger tells us what we need, right? It tells us where things are, you know, where are unfair. And as we go deeper, we might see, oh, this is a theme that started before my relationship. So again, where's that opportunity to maybe do some of that deeper healing work? Right? And if I'm avoiding the anger, because if I'm female, stereotypically, society yeah. tells me that I'm not allowed to have it. It's not attractive. Right. That's not what females do. And so I've been dealing with it, quote unquote, by shoving it away, ignoring at it, 
you know, substance abusing it, pretending that something's wrong with me because I have it, overcompensating for it. Like what you're saying here is like, if it's showing up in these scenarios, it's probably showing up in other scenarios, but this sometimes feels like it's an appropriate place to get angry because you're not sharing the load with me. And this is our family, not just my family. Right. And it's an opportunity for you to look at girl, the angering just here, (laughs) right? There's probably a theme of it happening and this feels more appropriate for you to express it here, but you're probably not expressing it in other places either. Yes. And a lot of the the clients that I work with are, you know, often in some kind of helping or caregiving professional role. And so they may be also taking on too much at work as well. Right. And they're on the verge of burnout. And so it's, you know, again, it's not about blaming ourselves because there's, there's lots of different things um, on that societal level, as well as our own personal experiences that, you know, can lead us on this path. Um, we've been told, right, to to be a good girl means to, you know, don't rock the boat, put up, shut up, you know, keep put that smile on your face and make sure everyone else is happy. Um, and so we have to redefine, you know, um, our own definition of what, you know, how we want to be in the world. Really, we have to, you know, um, I say we have to break the rules <laughs> of patriarchy, right? Realize that these, these, this, these rules, this game, it was not set up for our success, right? It was set up to control us. And our anger is dangerous to the status quo. It's dangerous to things that need to change, right? But it, it because it is such a, a powerful, you know, fuel for personal and, you know, collective change and transformation, right? We see that with all the big movements that happen. It's, it comes from anger, right? But the embodied anger means that we're, we're moving it through, we're sitting with it, we're doing maybe some of that grief work that goes alongside often with it. So then we can express it in a way that is, um, is, is still respectful, right? We're being assertive rather than aggressive. And I think what you just said about the anger piece is really important to kind of unpack as well that in therapy talk, anger is a secondary emotion. And before I get to my anger shield to hold you in place, I probably have a lot of hurt. And circling back to what you said earlier, maybe I don't think that I'm enough. And so I've been doing these things because I believe that that might be the only way to keep you interested in being in a relationship with me. And then that fuels the anger that like, if I stopped doing these things, is it also going to disintegrate our relationship? And what am I going to think about myself if I find out that the only reason we were working is because I did everything? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's, it, it is one of the sort of you know, potential risks of doing therapy and that deep healing work is sometimes we realize because of, you know, the attachment experiences that we had growing up, we've attracted someone who is really not healthy for us. And, you know, it may not be a physically unsafe relationship, but emotionally it's, it's not healthy. Um, And as, you know, as 
someone does their work to kind of heal and grow and change their patterns, sometimes partners come along board and other times the contrast becomes, you know, so clear. Um, and people get to a point where they, they realize I can't, I can't, I can't stay. I can't live like this anymore. Right. So ideally we would love for the partner to be able to, you know, sort of heal and grow alongside. Um, and it's always wonderful when that happens. Um, but it's also really important for, for people to take, you know, their, their own safety into consideration. And that includes the emotional safety because sometimes they haven't expressed their, their needs or they haven't, you know, had those really honest or vulnerable conversations because of how they have been talked to um, by their partners, you know, whether it's put downs um, or name calling or being given the silent treatment, right? Great. Important. I mean, I could talk about this all day because this is such mm -hmm. a core value, belief, expectation system that we have in relationships. And that's what makes yeah. them so complicated and why therapy is so important because we're, yeah. it's not that we're not intelligent people. It's that it's so complicated and it's so yeah. woven into our story of ourselves that we just sort of exist in that space since we have no idea of what it's like not to exist in that space. And so having somebody right. that helps you kind of hold it in a loving way is exactly why I love the work that you do. So yeah. I want to read something that I got off your website because I think it sort of oh, like okay. speaks to you, but it also speaks to the work that you do. And, and I, because I am so impressed with the work that you do, I wanted to share this. So um, you said, I believe, I believe you are the expert on you. You matter your voice matters. Worthiness is your birthright. Every breath is a fresh start. Caregivers, mamas, and helping professionals need to be cared for now more than ever. Past experiences impact you, but do not define you. Within every crisis lies opportunity. Individual healing leads to collective healing, and we rise by lifting others. So awesome. Thank you so, so much for spending time with us. You are just a bright light. And for those of you that haven't checked out your website or haven't checked out your social media, where could they come find you and uh, lap up some of your wisdom? Yeah, so my um, all my social media handles are just at peace and possibility. And then the website is peaceandpossibility.ca. And if you search my name, uh, Nicole Shiner, uh, I have a Gottman author page, or you can find links uh, through my website under the free resources section to uh, podcast interviews that I've done, articles that I've written, as well as a number of free guides that I have, which the majority of the information in there is research-based, but then also a lot of reflective questions so that, again, people can tune in to their inner expert. And that's the same with the the blog that I have. It um, kind of combines a little bit of storytelling with sort of a guided meditation with reflective questions, again, so that um, people can take a concept or a topic and then really do some of that kind of work of reflection and um, connecting because there's so much information out there, right? And we can get overwhelmed and overloaded. Um, and, and a lot of it is 
not right for us just because it's worked for someone else. Right? It's yeah. so important that we do that, you know, that kind of filtering work. And so that's what I try to offer in the, in the, the guides and, and the blogs. Yeah. Your resources are great. We will definitely leave a link to all of that and to your, your articles that you've written for the Gottman Institute. Cause they, there's a lot of information and a lot of things we talked about today. You have resources there. So Thank you so much, my friend. I hope we have you on the podcast again and and please keep doing what you're doing. I appreciate you so much. Oh, thank you so much. It was wonderful to be here. Okay, thanks, Nicole. Thanks, bye-bye. Thanks for tuning into the D-Spot. Find me, Dr. Dana McNeil, and my guests on social media using the links down below. Subscribe for new episodes weekly and leave a comment letting us know how and if you can relate or what topics you'd like us to cover next. See you next time. And don't forget, going to therapy is cool.